This podcast is not intended to provide medical advice. Please talk to your doctor about any medical concerns. This episode of Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition is brought to you by Argenix, a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people living with severe autoimmune conditions. At Argenix, we listen to patients, caregivers, and advocacy communities to align their aspirations with our innovations in pursuit of a better tomorrow. We welcome this opportunity to honor our commitment by sharing the untold stories of our guests. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition. This podcast is a production of Ruby Studio in partnership with Argenix, and I'm your host, Martine Hackett. I'm an associate professor and director of public health programs at Hofstra University. As a researcher, professor, and public health expert, I've spent my career studying the complex realities of healthcare disparities. On this podcast, I speak with real people living with severe autoimmune conditions to expand the conversation around these shared experiences. Every person living with an autoimmune condition has a unique story to tell. We'll uncover how each journey is unique and powerful, exploring how community and care are essential parts of each experience. We'll also highlight the importance of self-advocacy and support. Today's episode will focus on chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, or CIDP. You may remember learning about it in season one when we heard from Crystal and Scott. CIDP is a neurological condition causing progressive weakness in the arms and legs. The immune system attacks the protective layer that surrounds the nerves in the muscles. This damage causes nerve signaling to fail, which is why some people with the condition may experience difficulty walking. Today's guest, Rory, is an attorney who discovered he had CIDP after experiencing muscle cramps and numbness in his limbs. His fatigue was so debilitating that he found it hard to walk or stand. Additionally, his journey included a series of misdiagnoses that delayed him from getting the care he needed. But ever determined, Rory continues to cultivate the proper treatment regimen to aid him in rebuilding his life with CIDP. Good morning, Rory. Good morning. So good to be able to talk to you today. Let's begin. What was your life like before getting your CIDP diagnosis? What were you focused on at that time? So prior to my diagnosis with CIDP, I mean, I would describe my life as an opportunity of first. And what I mean by that is it kind of prepared me unknowingly, right, for the journey I would face with CIDP. For example, when I was three or four years old, I was placed into a foster home. My older brother and my younger sister were placed together, and I was by myself. Mm. And I was placed as a you know a little African-American little boy into an all-white community that had never seen a Black person before. So that was like a first experience for me that kind of like built up my resilience. Of course, at the time, I didn't know like why this was happening to me. But looking back, it really has served me well. And so from there, probably when I was around 10 years old or so, I then got adopted by my grandmother, who at the time was taking care of 13 grandchildren, including myself. So you can imagine how difficult that was to live in an environment like that. But I managed to be in that National Honor Society. You know, I graduated and I was the first to ever go to college. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get to college and I had never had a computer in my home. 
And I remember my first day going to college and I'm going to the computer lab and I see all these computers and I'm mm-hmm. scared to death, <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, I don't know, even know how to use this thing. And then I had the audacity to try to go to law school, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, another first. Mm-hmm. I graduated from law school. I took the bar exam and I passed practicing law. You know, how exciting is that? And you can imagine the opportunities that present themselves, you know, as mm-hmm. the first to do something like that. Then my career goes kind of just taking off from there. Mm. And I had been in a long-term relationship for about uh, 26 years or so. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then CIDP hit. And uh, my whole world just changed in an instant. But I had to rely on then all of those firsts I was telling you about that really came to play to like being resilient to address CIDP. So that's kind of like what my life was before. But even like a, um, a year before, you know, I had been traveling. We had been to St. Martin, the Netherlands, Austria, all different places, right? I mean, I was just, I love to travel and I was able to do that with no issue. Fast forward to today and it's life is a little bit different. But, you know, I'm managing it and I'm, I'm doing well. Going back to that time, what were some of your earliest symptoms? The first one I remember is the fatigue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is just unusual for somebody of my age. But then it progressed into not just fatigue, but exhaustion. Mm-hmm. So I would sleep all weekend long. You know, once mm-hmm. Friday, I would just crash. I would sleep all the time. And then I started to get weakness in my arms and my legs. Okay. So it became difficult to even like carry groceries. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be very winded. I had bloating, severe weight gain, like probably mm-hmm. like 30 pounds. I also had severe muscle cramps. And I'm not talking about like, you know, a little Charlie horse. These are muscle cramps that would last from 15 to 40 seconds, but they would be so intense mm-hmm. that they definitely would make me nauseous. Almost made me vomit. Wow. And definitely put me into tears. I also had these weird sensations in my body. For example, my scalp would be burning like it was on fire. My face might be twitching a little bit. My arms would be like somebody was stabbing them. Mm. And then my thighs would be like kind of tingling. Mm-hmm. And then my feet would be numb. Like all this would be happening at the same, all these different sensations at the same time. Right. And that's, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's something really going on there. And, you know, I did some research and I was trying to find a doctor who was a neurologist and that kind of, you know, knew about some mm-hmm. of these symptoms. So I was fortunate enough to find a very good one. And I remember the first day I went to his office and he, mm-hmm. um, you know, examined me and he immediately said, I think you have something autoimmune going on. I don't know what it is exactly. I think it might be multiple sclerosis, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. He's like, so we're going to have to go down this path of doing lots of tests and ruling things out to figure okay. out what is going on with you. The first thing I remember doing was having an MRI done of my head. From there, I also had the EMG, like the nerve conduction study test, where mm-hmm. they put these electrodes on your body to see you know, how the response goes. And then they also put like these needles into your muscle area and they move it around. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, that Just is thinking about it. Yes. Oh my gosh. That is the most unpleasant thing in the world. Ooh. You know, so like they're moving these things around and electrodes are popping all over the place. But I remember when it got down to my wrist, I screamed so loud because like there was this huge electrical shock that went wow. through me. And I think at first the doctor who was doing the test was kind of upset with me. 
He's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I'm like, what do you mean? What's wrong? <laughs> Just had an electric shock. Right. Exactly. Right. What's important about this is that he told me, I think you have carpal tunnel. Hmm. He's like, but the thing with this is that all the symptoms that you're describing don't necessarily all fit. Carpal tunnel doesn't describe them all. Right. From there, I had, I would say probably up to 24 blood tests. Mm-hmm. Ranging from the normal, right, just CBC to iron to, you know, um, making sure you don't have any, you know, STDs or there's something else, autoimmune, certain types of cancers, you know, on and on and on. So once all of those things come back fine, then you start getting into the ugly stuff, right? Trying to figure out what it is. Like the next level. Yes. And so it sounds like you're meeting then with different specialists. And how do you prepare for those different meetings to get that right diagnosis? Once I found this person who was the expert, he's like, look, you know, we have to go through this process. But it took months. Mm -hmm. And I recall, as we were still doing the test, going into an office visit with him and saying, if you do not figure out what's wrong with me within um, like a month or two, like I am not going to be walking because the deterioration was happening so fast. Wow. I mean, it was to the point there where my balance was completely off. I couldn't turn around in the shower. Um, I had to hold on to the walls. That's how, you know, everything was changing on me so fast. And I couldn't move my toes. How did you deal with that period of uncertainty around your condition at that time? Well, fortunately, the doctor that was working with me, we really built a strong connection, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was more than just like I was the patient and he was a doctor. You know, we really were like a partnership. And he's like, okay. you know, and he's like, look, I need you to tell me what's going on. And so I was very honest and upfront with him. And he was with me, although I was like anxious about what my mm-hmm. future would look like. Of course, I felt like I was in really good hands mm. and that he was doing the right thing by me, even though it was taking longer than I would have wanted. The final thing was a spinal tap. Wow. And figured out it was CIDP. So it sounds like it was, you had a true disease detective, you know, working with you. Yes. I could tell that he was very skilled in Mm -hmm. dealing with this issue. And in fact, he is one of the heads of the multiple sclerosis centers, right? That also includes other immune conditions. Mm -hmm. So he sees lots of patients that have these issues. Mm -hmm. Not as many, of course, with CIDP, but he knows how to document these, right? To get his patients the treatment that they need. And that was obvious to me. And so, I mean, now you have the CIDP diagnosis. How did you find support within your professional and personal communities while dealing with it? So at first, it was very lonely and very scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, the only person I had was this doctor. But one of the first things he did, he said, Rory, I'm going to have you see a neuropsychiatrist. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, why? Right? I'm thinking to myself, he's like, you're going to need the support and you're going to need to understand, you know, what this means for, you know, long term. And this right. person is skilled at helping people like you that they don't have any mental conditions, but this is going to change the way you live your life. Yeah. And so what a wonderful asset it has been. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. This is somebody who's really, you know, who understands what you're going through and is able to kind of support you all the way throughout. Yes. And in fact, they're in the same network. Okay. And so this doctor is able to see all my doctor's notes and things like that. Mm-hmm. And he's a neurologist himself, right? Being a neuropsychiatrist. So he understands the condition. 
That's amazing. Yes. And so that seems like, you know, just a great confluence of a, you know, specialists who it seems like that's probably like a thousand years of school, but, you know, that they're able to be prepared and, and be there for you. Yes, absolutely. Just absolutely wonderful. When we were on earlier, I saw all your uh, degrees uh, <laughs> behind you. And so as an attorney, what are some of the ways that your legal background has informed your approach to navigating the healthcare system and your treatment options for CIDP? Well, one, I'm a researcher, right, just by profession. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that has really helped me become knowledgeable about my own condition. So I actually research it and I learn about, you know, what does it do, even down to the medication that I take. I started out with intravenous treatment, but it took me probably about seven months or so to see real improvement. But I understood from others who, you know, had treatment like within weeks to months or a month or so, you know, they saw rapid improvement. And I wasn't mm. seeing that. Right. And so I was being, I mean, I was kind of very discouraged by that. But after the seven months or so, I switched to subcutaneous infusions. Mm-hmm. In fact, I was in occupational therapy and physical therapy at this at that time. Mm-hmm. And they had, you know, two weeks before had tested my strength. And I wasn't even anywhere near where I should be. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, they test me. And my strength is better than the average for somebody of my age. What? Yes. Wow, that's awesome. So it, it worked. It, oh, it worked. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could, I, wow. I was ecstatic, right? Wonderful. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Rory, where do you go for your resources and your research? For research, I will look at, and I'm very careful about the sources that I, mm-hmm. that I look at. So I usually definitely will go to NIH for sure. And um, look at their research studies and what they say. National Institute of Health. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then neurology journals. I, mm-hmm. I look at those and I look at the peer reviews to see, you know, what they're saying about it. So mm-hmm. oftentimes I will take articles that I that I find mm-hmm. and I'll bring them to my neurologist and say, oh, look what I found. So, I mean, it's just an example of just coming together and talking about, mm-hmm. you know, what did you find and what we can do from here. And him not feeling threatened that, you know, here you are coming with this information, challenging him. I have to say that I'm very fortunate because my doctors, that's one of the things I love about me is that I come to the table with ideas mm-hmm. and things that I've learned. And I don't do it in a threatening way at all. Right. Yeah. It's really more about a partnership. And I think they like that because I can actually articulate to them what it is I'm feeling, what am I doing and why do I want to take a certain action that I want to take or don't want mm-hmm. to take one. Um, and I think that they all tell me it helps them treat me better. So you're advocating, you're taking an active role in your treatment. Yes. Wonderful. So let's talk about the people around you in your life. How do you help them to understand your diagnosis and the impacts of CIDP? So I normally am more of a a reserved type of person. You can't tell now, right? I'm out of my shell. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but I, okay, I really was. Right? So. Yes, right. So I'm like, I really was. You know, I, I would talk to people if they talked to me and stuff like that. But just for me to like to like be self-engaging and like get all involved, I really didn't do that. But I think that was more about like my history, like my background, you know, mm-hmm. just because of, you know, mm-hmm. I was always kind of on the fringes. But once this condition came, I'm like, okay, well, I have to do something here. Like, how am I going to get support? And mm-hmm. I don't know anybody that has this condition. So one of the things I did was with my family, I would take pictures of myself, like doing certain things. Hmm. Let's say like my scalp was all red, right? Mm -hmm. I would literally take a picture of it so they could see. So I wasn't just telling them. 
I see. Right. So they could actually see for themselves what mm -hmm. I'm really going through. I would show them pictures of, you know, my cane. Mm. The visual, right, is so important. It's more than just telling them because they can't, they can't tell. They don't live your experience, right? No. But they have something that they can identify with that they've seen mm -hmm. other people have. And then I sent them, there's a, uh, a one, maybe a two or three minute small little clip video of what is CIDP from the GPS CIDP Foundation. Mm -hmm. It's a great video. You know, it's kind of like animated in a way. And, it, you know, it talks about, um, you know, how it makes you feel, what the symptoms are. And it really breaks it down. It really breaks it down, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a great resource. Everybody that I send that to, my friends and my family, they're like, oh, thank you for sending this to us. You know, it helps us understand better what you're going through. Mm -hmm. But even with that, mm -hmm. I think the best tool is when mm -hmm. they see it like in person. Like, oh, my gosh, like this is not. Like, this is for real. And so yeah. if you don't mind, I want to give you like two quick examples. Okay. The first one is when I was doing therapy, a nurse mm -hmm. had to be at my house with me, right, to administer it. Yes. And I live on the 13th floor in this high-rise apartment building. And this particular day, there was a fire alarm. And so we had to like go down the stairs to get out of the building. I did not know, and she did not know, that I couldn't walk down the stairs. Oh, gosh. That was the first time. I mean, I was in shock, actually. <laughs> Like, wait a minute, feet move. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. I'm like, I, I, what am I going to do here? And mm -hmm. she's like, oh, Rory, she's like, I didn't know that this was at the stage of disability for you because like, you look so strong and everything. Like, I, mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't know this. So I'm like, well, what are we going to do? She's like, well, you're going to hold on to the railing and then I'm going to be on your other side and we're just going to do one step at a time. <laughs> oh, 13 flights. <laughs> yes, 13 flights. <laughs> so I finally get downstairs, right? And we get outside. And do you know, that somebody had burnt popcorn and they told us to come back in. <laughs> oh, no. <nah. laughs> like, everything's fine. Let's go. Right, right, right. So anyway, I guess that was like a very, that's an example of someone seeing it for themselves, mm -hmm. including me, right? But like you said, you come off so strong and you look fine. Yes. And it's just not until they actually can see what it is that you're going through that it just hits home. Exactly, right. We'll be back with more untold stories after a quick break. As a global immunology company committed to improving the lives of people suffering from severe autoimmune conditions, Argenics is dedicated to shining a light on resources that support the CIDP or chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy community. Shining Through CIDP is a new website that aims to empower those living with this rare condition and their families to create the space needed for a more joyful life. Shining Through CIDP features real stories, tips on emotional self-care, and new ideas to help navigate the CIDP journey. For more information, visit shiningthroughcidp.com. And now, back to untold stories. Let's talk about your strategies do you have any specific strategies you've developed to address these physical and emotional aspects of living with CIDP? I mean, first of all, you know, um, definitely spiritual. I mean, mm -hmm. I just, I rely on, you know, God to just direct me and to help me, you know, have the strength to get mm -hmm. through things every day. So it just right. changes my mindset about like how I feel about the condition. Understanding that I don't have to do everything all at once, mm -hmm. right? Pacing myself. 
So initially when I was diagnosed, when I would get like this burst of energy, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I have this energy now. So let me do everything. Let me, everything. um, <laughs> let me sweep, let me clean the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Let me, you know, let me do my laundry. Like all these things I was trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. Not a good idea. Let me just say, mm-hmm. because you pay for it the next day. <laughs> right. But I've learned like over time to like, okay, you know what? I can mm-hmm. do one load of laundry today. I can do mm-hmm. another load tomorrow, right? So that's where, how I've started dealing with some of the physical like limitations that I have. Right. And then from just a work perspective, mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate in that my employer lets me work from home full time. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. So that has been a game changer because if I had to do it in person, Mm-mm. I mean, I don't think I would be able to do it. So, I mean, that has just been truly wonderful. And then in terms of support, I, um, GBS CIDP Foundation, they have a lot of them ask the expert seminars. So I try to listen to as many of those as I can. Mm-hmm. They have like coffee chats with other people across the country that have a CIDP so I've been able to meet some people through there that you know, I otherwise wouldn't meet. A few months ago, I attended the first annual conference uh, here in D.C. Oh, okay. And that was awesome to see all of these people mm-hmm. at various stages, right, with their CIDP coming together as a community. I never felt so good in my life, right? I mean, it, just to see awesome. somebody else mm-hmm. and talk to them. Like, what is your experience? What do you do, Right. And they know exactly what you're talking about. They know exactly what you're talking about. You don't have to apologize, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just are, you're just who Explain. you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You just who mm-hmm. you are, who you are. And, you know, one of the things that stood out for me, that although all of us were at different stages in our CIDP, you know, the limitations and all that were, a commonality, there were two. One was, actually, there were three. Mm-hmm. One was the, the amount of fatigue everybody said they had. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if you were like what they called so-called in remission, they were still fatigued. People that her, you know, were in, you know, wheelchairs, fatigued, and then people like me, fatigued, right? I'm like, oh, that it's very interesting that everyone's still this is like a common thing. The other thing is the feeling of, particularly when you first get diagnosed, isolation. Yeah. Everybody told me that they felt alone, even though they had loved ones maybe surrounding them, which is great. Mm -hmm. They still didn't have somebody that could, they could say, how do you feel, right? Hmm. You know, what do you do when you have these symptoms? It resonated with me. I'm like, yeah, I get that. And then you said there's a third thing. Yes, and now I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome oh, to CIDP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Um, so you, you mentioned about connecting with others and meeting other people with CIDP. Do you have any tips or how to push through the challenges and symptoms of CIDP and find meaning, happiness, and maybe even joy in life? So for me, when everything changed was when I decided that I was going to become an active participant in my health. Mm. Not just sit back and let the doctors tell me what to do. Yeah. Once my mindset changed, then I could see this as it's a new life, but I have opportunities. And not only am I surviving, but I'm thriving. Mm -hmm. And there's a huge difference between the two. Some of the things I've done, I participated in an interview panel they're trying to see like what is a daily life with people with CIDP. Mm-hmm. So I've done that. There was a company that was trying to come up with a new way to deliver 
plasma to uh, individuals with CIDP. Mm-hmm. And so they actually came to me and they had this setup where they showed me a video, oh. then they had the apparatus out and they had me look at it. They're like, okay, I want you to act as though you're doing your own self-infusion. Hmm. And then I was able to tell them things that are good about it, things that were bad about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was that was so empowering mm-hmm. because there were things that I've always wanted to say, like, who in the heck came up with this idea, right? <laughs> yeah, you told them. Yeah, so I was able to tell mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Things like that all changes the way you feel. Mm-hmm. You have a little bit sense of control, right, over something that, you know, you seemingly don't have control over. But you have to control yeah. over how you feel about it. That's right. And it sounds like also too this, like you said, it fits within your, the story of your life, the story of Rory, right? right. In terms of just always being the one to kind of like take a, a situation that's not great and, you know, make a way out of no way. Exactly. Yes. Wonderful. And so um, can you talk about what you mentioned this a little bit about what adjustments that you've had to make to stay positive in your CIDP journey? How has your experience with CIDP influenced your approach to self-care and overall well-being? So this came along with practice and acceptance of the condition itself. Mm. So what I mean by that is I, I, I think I told you that it was difficult for me to take a shower, right? Like I would have to mm-hmm. hold on to the walls. Mm-hmm. So I remember deciding, you know, it's time for me to get one of those seats that I put in the, in the mm-hmm. tub. That's right. That was so hard for me, Mm -hmm. because that was the acknowledgement, right? That in fact, I have this limitation. I see. But, you know, I I got it and I'm like, you know what? Actually, this is making my life better, (laughs) right? (laughs) This is easier for me to take my shower, Mm -hmm. you know? So as you start doing, practicing things like that, you realize that self-care is important and it doesn't really matter what other people think. You just Mm -hmm. need to take care of yourself. So it sounds like CIDP sort of has changed your outlook on uh, caring for your overall health. Yes, it has. My overall health and not to mention, and I never really thought about this before, but my Mm -hmm. mental health. Mm. There is such a connection between the two. I never really, you know, I knew intellectually, yes, but going through this experience, you have to take care of both. Mm. Because when I know when I'm stressed, I immediately feel the symptoms. Interesting. My skin burns so bad when I'm stressed, like immediate. It's not like, you know, a delay. Then I know that I'm not taking care of myself. I'm not mm-hmm. handling the situation the way I should. Because if you handle it a different way, you can feel a difference in your body. Yes, correct. Mm. And sometimes, you know, part of this is letting things go. Yes. Letting people go, which is hard. Mm. It's. I mean, you find that your circle is small. Mm. Even people that love you and care about you, they don't get it. And so you can see them, they don't really know how to respond to you. So they stop engaging. <laughs> and then at that point, you have to decide for yourself, well, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Am I, am I going to chase them? Right. Mm. right. And initially I did, right? Mm-hmm. I still wanted mm-hmm. this relationship, mm-hmm. but it made me feel bad. Yeah. And it, what did it do? It changed my symptoms. <laughs> right. It like made them bad. physically felt it. Yes. Yes. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore. If they're not in my circle, they're not in my circle. It's a hard thing to go through. It really is hard. But you you have to do it. If you're going to thrive, not survive, thrive. Mm-hmm. You for have a to season do it. for a reason, right? Yeah, There's some right. people who are in your life for different times. Right. Yes. 
And have you encountered any misconceptions or biases regarding CIDP within your communities, your professional circles? And if so, how do you address them? Yeah, so in my professional circles, I think part of the reason that there's misconceptions with it, because actually I've shared that video that I mentioned to you yes. that I, um, mm-hmm. with, my, with my team, as well as my supervisors. Mm. I've been very open about that, um, which I think has helped me. But they still have mis- misconceptions about what does it really feel like to be fatigued? What does it really feel like to have muscle weakness? Because they see me and I look good, right? I sound strong. And so the weakness to them doesn't ever show through. Mm. But they don't know that like it takes me longer to do my work. And so therefore I'm working at night when I'm already mm-hmm. fatigued, trying to catch things up. Yeah. All they know is the next day I, they have a really good product. Mm-hmm. You know? And, Not what it took to get there. Right, exactly. So they're missing all of this stuff. And I'm still trying to struggle with trying to get them to understand how does that work, right? Because they don't mm-hmm. see any of that. Mm-mm. So that is something I'm still actually trying to work on. How do I get them to understand this? And maybe they mm-hmm. won't. Maybe they can't. Yeah, you know? exactly. So that is, you know, an area that is, um, you know, kind of difficult, I think. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? You can just keep doing what you're doing. And it's, it is, it might be something that's just invisible to them forever. That's right. So finally, Rory, what words of advice or encouragement would you share with someone who is newly diagnosed with CIDP? So I would say, give yourself the grace and the space to come to terms with your condition, right? To understand that yes, your life has changed. You have to acknowledge it because that's the only way that you can move forward. Mm -hmm. If you don't, all you're going to do is try to survive and Mm -hmm. you're not going to thrive. Mm -hmm. The only way to thrive is to acknowledge what's happening. And then from there, you open yourself up to the possibility of learning more about your condition, sharing Mm -hmm. your condition with others, and finding a way to just mentally feel better about your new life. And then maybe like you said, partner with your care providers and, you know, find a way to have that advocacy and education and encouragement for others. Yes, you have to find a community, a family. If you don't, people surrounding you aren't, aren't that, you create your own. And that's really kind of what I have done. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started, I had my providers who were all in different networks. Mm-hmm. And so now they are all in the same network for the most part. And they talk to one another. They'll call one another about me and say, oh, Rory was in my office today. This is going on. And I want to prescribe this medication. You know, is this going to impact, you know, what you're doing over here? Which is wonderful, you know. Mm -hmm. And they'll call me and let me know what's going on. They're like my family. They really are. Like, Mm -hmm. they're not just my doctors. Like, I feel I can call any of them at any time. And then I actually signed up for what they call a concierge-type service. Mm-hmm. Because I was having difficulty of organizing all my medications, all these different appointments, you know, all these different specialists, just organizing it all was just too much for me. Mm-hmm. So now I have a dedicated physician that's for me, right? That kind of helps organize this with me. When I see him, my appointments are like one to two hours versus 15 minutes. When I go there, he literally has gone over all of my old labs, any recent ones, any notes from all my specialists. And mm-hmm. he has a plan of what he wants to talk about. And he asked me what I want to talk about and mm-hmm. what, what are our next steps. It's just beautiful. I mean, that's the way yeah. it always should be. Um, and I know everybody doesn't have that. 
but there's some way that you have to push to try to get some semblance of that so that you have some community and somebody around you, right, that can mm -hmm. lift you up when, you know, it's hard for you to do it yourself. Well, Rory, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your stories. This has been so wonderful just to hear about how you have transitioned and how this is kind of like, you know, the story of your life, that this is just, you know, making a way and finding that solution where there doesn't seem like one. So thank you so much for our, your time today. Well, thank you so much for, um, you know, letting me share this story. And my hope is that there's somebody out there that doesn't feel alone when they're able mm -hmm. to to listen to this, that caregivers can understand more about what how this impacts your life. And then also for the healthcare professionals to understand that, you know, you're more than just a patient. You know, you're really a partner with them. And so that's my hope. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much. Rory's story is like so many who have dealt with the frustration of misdiagnosis and the feeling that their condition is not being handled properly. Half the battle with autoimmune conditions is simply identifying them. As an attorney, Rory has a naturally analytic mind and paired with his enthusiasm for finding solutions and a positive outlook, he is a fierce example of maintaining hope along that journey. Thanks for listening. Join us on January 31st for our next episode. Untold Stories, Life with a Severe Autoimmune Condition is produced by Ruby Studio from iHeartMedia in partnership with Argenics and hosted by me, Martine Hackett. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha. Our EP of post-production is Matt Stillo, along with supervising producer Sierra Kaiser and post-producer Sierra Spreen. This episode was written and produced by Tyree Rush.